Welcome to Pathway to Faith with Bishop Steve Howe. Turn your expectations high as you receive the word from our man of God. Prepare yourself to hear a life-changing message. Let's tune in now. Well, let me, let me, let's do this one more time. Cultivating, cultivating confidence uh, in God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 I believe was our foundational chapter and verse. We don't need to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. It says, hold, hold fast to your confidence in God, which has great reward. And there are a lot of things in life that are trying to break the cycle of confidence that we have in God to cause us to waver. Now, for some of you, you're going to go back and, and get the beginning, part one, part two, part three of this message, cultivating confidence in God. You, you, you have to, listen, you have to have confidence in God so, so, so that you don't waver. And, and hear me now. You're going to have to, notice I said confidence in who? Say, say in who? In who? Notice I didn't mention any man. So if the pastor backslide, I'm not backsliding. My confidence. If my wife turn away from the things of God, I'm not turning away. I love you. I don't want you to leave, but, but, but I have to stay with this man named Jesus. Everything else can be replaced but him. There, there is no replacement. It's God or nothing. Let's, let's move on. So, so, so let's go to Romans chapter 4. And let me give you some points that I was trying to give you last Sunday to help you in the process of, of cultivating confidence in God. It's one thing to say you have confidence. It's another thing to have it. And if anything, if nothing else, this pandemic has certainly proved all of us to a certain measure how much confidence, or let me put it another way, how much commitment we, we, really, had, we really had in God. I'm going to say it, so hold on, brother. Let, let me say it. Amen. Now, I'm not you know, trying to put water on this fire. I, I'd rather have that than something dead. You know, I, you know, I'm saying woe to him, but I'd rather say woe, horsey, than giddy up. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Are you in Romans chapter 4? Let's look at verse uh, number 21. Let's look at it again. And being fully persuaded, it's on the screen, and being what? And being fully persuaded and being fully convinced that he, and being fully convinced, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, we know from former lessons that this he is Abraham. And then I went back and shared with you at, at the point where Abraham, he became fully persuaded. Now, Paul is making reference to him at the church of Rome, but he's making reference 
to Abraham when he had become fully persuaded. But when God gave him the word, he was persuaded, but he wasn't fully persuaded. Because God gave him a promise. Uh, He was 75 years old. And then at 86, the promise still hadn't come. And Abraham took heed to his wife's suggestion about going into her handmaiden. Now, he never would have gone into uh, uh, Sarai's handmaiden if he had been fully persuaded that what God said he was able to perform. Now, I'm not going to throw stones at Sarai, whose name was later changed to Sarah, is because when God gave the promise, he did not speak to Abram's wife. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? When, when God was setting order in the garden, he did not speak to Eve. As a matter of fact, God set the pattern and spoke to Adam before he ever allowed Eve to come on the scene. Now, she was there, but she wasn't there. When God set order in the garden and he spoke to, to Adam, Eve wasn't on the scene. Come on, say Amen. Well, she wasn't on the scene, but she was on the scene. She was on the scene in Adam. So there was something, preach boy, preach. There was something in Adam that was male and and female. So at one point, Adam would be walking like a male. And get comfortable and walk like something else. But God spoke to Adam. And this women's live spirit hates it. And it's tearing up families. Because you cannot have success. When you're out of order. That's why you are a foolish woman to marry a man who does does not know the voice of God. Because if he cannot hear God, where are y'all going? And notice it doesn't work until he hears. You better hear me today. I don't know why we're going like this. But if she hears, and a woman can hear, but things don't happen until he hears. And the devil understands that. Let a woman get saved. It may take 20, 30 years for that whole family to come to church. But let him get saved. Let him get get turned on to God. And see who can stay home on Sunday. When he's excited about God. See, see, see how many kids can stay home. As a matter of fact, if it was allowed, he would bring the fish tank to church. The dog and the cat. Because when he gets turned on to God, everything connected to him. Adam. So Paul says... Paul says, and being fully convinced 
that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. How, how did he get there? And last Sunday, I shared some things with you about my journey, going to Raymond, all the things I lost. And coming to this city that I didn't, I didn't know north, south, east, or west. I didn't know anybody. Didn't even have a job that one that I thought had, but the job I thought I had when I came here, the airline company folded, filed bankruptcy. And here I am in Kansas City, Missouri, in the perfect will of God, and I got a notice on my door of eviction because I can't pay my rent. So I, I don't agree with these folks that, uh, that you have to be out of the will of God to experience a certain craziness. I believe you can be in the perfect will of God and all kind of stuff can happen. I believe you can be in the perfect will of God and go through major challenges, major struggles, major disappointments, major setbacks, and right in the will of God. And if you don't believe it, Jesus was right in the perfect will of his father and it cost him his life. It was more than people didn't like him. It was more than the people who beat him and spit on him. If you read it in, in the original text, so many people spat on Jesus that it was like he was drenched like a shower. If you read it in the original text, they beat him so bad that the Bible declares that he was unrecognizable by his own mama. And the reason most movies, when they depict that, that place in the Bible, uh, they don't really show how it really is because you probably couldn't stomach it. They beat him. They kicked him. They punched him. They lied on him and they crucified him for committing no sin. Are you all listening to me? But he was fully convinced that what the heavenly father had said about his life, he was Fully committed to it because he was fully convinced. Can somebody say amen? amen? When you're persuaded, it means that you have a change of mind based upon information and evidence. I heard uh, a minister say uh, the other day, he said, um, he said, I, I, I just want to love God more. Any, anybody ever said that? I, I just, just two people? Anybody? Okay, three, four, five, six. Anybody ever said, I, I just want to love God more? The truth of the matter, you loving God more is not your problem. I just want to love God. I just want to love God. That's not your issue. The issue is, is that you have to read the word of God and find out how much he loves you. It is you finding out how much he loves you that inspires you to love him. And when you don't 
love him like that, it's only a reflection that you don't know him like that. Because you cannot know him and walk away from him. So the issue is not you loving God more. The issue is you getting into the word of God and finding out how much he loves you. And you have to get into the word because nobody will in this human flesh will be able to reflect to you that kind of love. You can't find it in your wife and you won't find it in a close friend. Because can't nobody. Can I get a couple of witnesses here? Yeah. Can't, can't nobody. I know can't's not a good, you know, vernacular, but, but you understand what I'm saying. Can't nobody love you like Jesus. And when you really discover that, it causes you down in your soul to go a place in God. Because of that revelation that makes you unshakable, unmovable. There's nothing the devil can dangle in front of you that you would exchange for God. There's no price. There's no amount of money that you'll be willing to take to sever your relationship with this God that you've come to know as love. Oh, God. What is God? God is love. He's not power. I've heard preachers say that, but God is not power. God is, God is not power. And I don't want to offend any of you theologians, but God is not power. God is love. He has power. But he's love. And when we tap into that God kind of love, that's what keeps us unified. That's what drives out jealousy amongst the congregation or envy or strife or division. Not only in a church, but in a marriage, in a family. The love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is the love of God that's in your heart that causes you not to think any evil of your brother, your sister. Always willing to extend mercy and grace and the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because I pursue unity more than I pursue confusion. It doesn't make any difference who's on top or the bottom. I just want us to be in unity. I just want the peace of God to flow in our lives so that the blessings can flow. So that my prayers are not hindered. And so number one in this process now of moving in the direction of cultivating confidence in God. Number one is consecration. Number two is separation. Number three is information. Cultivating confidence in God. Number four is saturation. Number five is deliberation. This is the process of cultivating confidence in God. Number six is determination. Number six is what? Determination. Let's back up 
and deal with consecration. Consecration is the decision I make to live for God. You're never going to have fully persuaded confidence in God until you make up it in your mind that you're going to live for God. I wish I could make the decision for you, but I cannot. It's a personal thing. I'm going to live by the order of God. And when you make a decision to live for God and to live by the order of God, you close the door. What did I say? You close the door on compromise. Ooh, Jesus. That'll fix your marriage right there. That, that, that right there, we don't have to go any further. We got six points. We just said number one. But that right there, if you would settle that in your life, that would prevent you from being unfaithful to your spouse. That would, take, that would cause you to take your girlfriend's number out of your phone before you get home. Which in, in turn would, would, would deliver you from the fear of your wife getting a hold of your phone. Or your husband. Mm -hmm. Halfway to work. Almost late. Discover you done left your phone at home. Help us, Jesus. Shouldn't be anything in there she can't see. Shouldn't be anything in there he can't see. Mm -hmm. Secrets. Say the word. Secrets will always divide a relationship. Anytime we have a secret... It'll always be potential of building a wedge between us. Because secrets divide. I'm around you and I know you should know something that I know, but I'm not telling you. So it's, it's putting a strain on our union. Secrets will divide. Isn't that amazing how all of these organizations, don't get mad you organizational people. But isn't it strange that we have all of these secret societies? And, and, the, and the best group you could ever be in is the body of Christ, and Jesus made it no secret. He said, who serve a will? But secrets always say, you can't, you can't be with us. You're not one of us. Let me move on because people think I'm picking on something. I'm going to listen. Consecration. Mother, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm going with God. And until somebody create another man and another woman and another world, and another Bible, I'm going with the one who's already done it. Mm -hmm. so, so I can't go with Muhammad because he didn't create the world. He didn't create Adam and Eve. He didn't create the Holy Bible. I'm going with Jehovah God. 
I'm going to go with the one who created me, who created the universe, amen, and who established this holy Bible. And until somebody, and if you find them, let me know, who have created their own universe and created their own man and woman and created their only holy Bible to govern everything, I'm going with the one who's already done it. Are you, are you all listening to me? I'm going with God's order. Say that with me. I am going with God's order. When you make that commitment, then CNN, MSNBC, or any other Fox or anybody else, nobody will be able to sway you. And you have to be careful watching all of those different channels because the whole goal of the devil is to get you out of the love wall. You have to stay in love. That's God's order. So you can stay healed and delivered and sound in your mind. You have to stay in the love walk. And when you're in the love walk, you're not in bigotry. When you're in the love walk, you're not in hatred. You can't be a racist and in the love walk too. You can't hate people for the color of their skin or their accomplishments or the lack thereof if you're walking in love. Can I go ahead? If, if you're really walking in love, there's no black church, no white church. If we're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then, then there's no such thing as a black or white church. Because Jesus wasn't black and he wasn't white. Are you listening to me? Oh boy. Y'all bucking your eyes at me now. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the holy written word of God. But those pictures that have been put in here, those those were those were writings of Michelangelo. Those are pictures of his brother and his cousin making Jesus look like a sissy. I know I'm I'm messing with some of you, but those pictures you have on the wall, that's not Jesus. Those were instituted hundreds and hundreds of years later by the Europeans whose whole objective was to control the world through religion. So these young folk today who don't want to embrace those pictures that in your Bible, they're not totally wrong. As a matter of fact, if you're bowing down in front of those pictures and every time you get in front of it, you think it's some holy thing, you're an idolatry. Because that's not Jesus. We won't get into that, but the Bible says that his hair was like lamb's wool. And his skin was like burning brass. Well, we got enough sense to know he couldn't have been a European because he was in Bethlehem, the Middle East. 
and everybody's exterior is a reflection of the interior that they live in. Your hair is nappy because your descendants come from Africa. It's just like the animal kingdom. In the summertime, the deers are one color. In the wintertime, deers are a reflection of the exterior. And the reason your hair was nappy from your descendants is because you came from Africa. And you can't run through the jungle with stringy hair. You'll hang yourself. Where's John? He hung himself about two miles down, running through the jungle. I told him don't do it with his hair flying all everywhere. Now, I, I'm not making this an issue, but religion has made this an issue because religion always likes attention. And if it's not about the color, then take the pictures out. Then take them out. If it's not about color, then take the pictures out so that my little child don't grow up feeling inferior when they see the picture of Jesus and the picture don't look like my child. And your child feels superior because the picture you put in the holy book looks like them. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that Jesus doesn't have blue eyes. It is an issue, but it's not an issue from Jesus. It's an issue from religion because religion always likes attention and control. Ooh, Jesus. I, I didn't mean to go there. But this is history, man. For, for everybody. For, for everybody. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a problem with you putting a picture. But if you have the liberty to put a picture, let me put a picture. Let the Mexican put a picture. And they do. Let the Chinamen put a picture. And they do. And they make Jesus look like them because they know the importance of association. Ooh, Jesus. Ain't nobody shouting now. I had to tell everybody to be quiet a moment ago. Consecration. So cultivating confidence in God, the first thing you have to do is consecration. Second thing is what? Separation. I will detach myself from anything or anybody who will interfere with my decision to do what God has called me to do. Separation. I've never met a person to this day who have accepted a genuine call of God on their lives. And when they accepted it, they didn't have to separate themselves. 
from something. I consecrated myself to God. I separated myself to God and God called me off to the job. He called me off, called me away from everything that was familiar to me and sent me to a place where I knew nobody. And the only reason I was willing to go is because I was consecrated and I was willing to have separation. And if I had not been willing, if I had not been fully persuaded, if I had not been fully persuaded, you wouldn't know me today. And we don't know if you'd be alive today. I don't know if your wife, but she texted me, contacted me several times, and I had to pump faith into that girl. Matter of fact, a few texts she texted me, when I responded to her, it was like I didn't pay attention to what she texted me. And I texted her, I'm fully persuaded. I know what I said. I know God heard me, and I'm not vacillating. She would text me back, I'm hooked up with your pastor. Thank you, thank you. I'm hooked up. No, no, it's not just what I said, but, but, but it's, a, it's a reality. She, she didn't have to submit what I said. She could have texted back to that pastor, I hear what you're saying, but. And she know I don't deal with but. I'm a faith man. There wasn't nothing wrong. She just, she just needed a booster. And I had to give her a couple of boosters. Why? Because he was hanging in the balances of death of life. And then the brothers got in the hallway and your son had the phone on speaker and heard all those men in the hallway holding up Brother Newton's name before God. Men praying. Declaring that he'll live and not die. We got him on the respirator, Pastor, and the respirator's not working. Instead of going up, it's going down. It doesn't look good. Well, everybody know what that means, but I'm not moved by what I see, and I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm only moved by the Word of God, and he shall live and not die. Yes, sir. Just wanted to be on the camera again, I know. So consecration, what's the second one? Separation. Number three is information. So the information I choose to build my life on is the word of God. Consecration, separation, what? Information. And I choose to build my life on the W-O-G. Capital W, capital O, capital G. I choose. It's a decision. I choose to build my life on the word of God. Say it with me. I choose to build my life on the word of God. So if you're going to build your life upon the word of God, you must take time to dig deep and lay a solid foundation. 
Now I'm going to make close with this, but go to Matthew's chapter 7. Is it warm in here or is it just me? It's just me? It's just me? Man, I'm some hot. Um, can, can I take my coat off? Is that all right? Thank you so much. Is that all right? Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Yes, sir, Lord. Hallelujah. Heading back toward the garden. Are you in Matthew? Are you in Matthew? Are you in Matthew chapter? Come on, get saved over there. Matthew 7, look at verse 25. Look at, look at this. This is important because we're talking about information. Are you at 25? And the rain descended. And the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it did not fall. Why? For it was founded on the word. It was founded, what? On the word. It was founded upon the word of God. It was founded upon the rock. Unfortunately, the winds of life uh, will blow in all of our lives. And I can pray all I want to pray. You can pray all you want to pray. But as long as you're in this life, there are going to be occasions where winds are going to blow against your house. It's, it's going to blow. Saved or not saved, the wind's going to blow in your house. And if it hasn't blown, it's going to blow. And it hasn't blown in a while, just wait a minute. The weather's going to change. But the key is not the wind blowing. It's what your house is built on. It's what your marriage is built on. Every marriage gets attacked. Every family come under attack. But what is the family built on? What is the marriage built on? Every church comes under attack. Every ministry comes under attack. Every person comes under attack. Eventually you'll get attacked even on your job. And you're fooling yourself and you think everybody like you. And you have to be committed to God because there may be occasions where you train somebody. You give them your knowledge and they turn around and make them your boss. And you got to walk in love. Realizing that promotion doesn't come from that supervisor. That your promotion comes from God. Could God have mercy. So wind blows in everybody's family. There's a season of challenge in every family. But, but how will the marriage survive? Because it's clear a lot of marriages do not survive. And those that do survive, they don't survive accidentally. Who Jesus. And they don't survive because she loves him so much. Or he loves her so much. There has to be something deeper than that. There has to be an anchor. There has to be something that trumps your opinion. And my opinion. 
There has to be something in your life that trumps what you think. If your marriage is going to survive. Because if my marriage only does what I think, we're in trouble. Because my thinking is not always right. And don't look at me funny, yours isn't either. Either. So there has to be something that trumps what I'm saying and my wife is saying. Or our marriage is in trouble. There has to be a superior foundation in our marriage than what I think or what she thinks. And the thing that is the sure foundation in our marriage, in our relationship, is the word of God. After you say what you got to say, after I say what I got to say, what does the word of God say about this matter? only way the marriage is going to survive it can't survive just on what you think why because in our human nature we're selfish and it's good when I'm getting everything I want and bless God there's going to be trouble in the city when I'm not happy selfish the only thing that trumps selfishness or self-centeredness is the word of God. What does the, what does the word of God allow me to do in this matter concerning this situation? What does the, what does the word of God tell me how to handle this situation? Because God's way always wins. Is this blessing anybody? So, so if you're going to, if you, if you're going to uh, uh, anchor yourself in the word of God, you, you have to dig into the word of God. I, I don't know if they have it on the, on the technological side, but, but I want to encourage you, particularly the E-Church, if you don't have this book that I wrote, Success Through Meditation, you've you got to get this book. You, you have to, our oldest mother, <laughs> there you go, boy. You got to have this book. Because you have to get anchored in the word of God. It's only the word of God that will trump your selfish nature. Because you can't have a good marriage and you always pouting around the house. <laughs> Slamming doors. Mumbling. <laughs> what you say? Nothing. You just, you just, you're just acting up, giving each other the silent treatment. You want something to eat, honey? I can't hear you. What'd you say? You're pouting. Big overgrown bear pouting. Wife, don't say nothing. You said, shut up. I told you I don't like nobody telling me to shut up. So I'm going to shut up. Honey, uh, do you want anything? You told me to shut up. So you go to giving each other the silent treatment. And the kids know you're not getting along because they know. They can feel it. Daddy's mad about something. Daddy done done something to mama. Mama's ticked. 
Hey, hey, George, don't ask mom and dad for anything today. Today is not a good day. I can tell you, it's a no day. <laughs> and the only way you get through it, people of God, is the word of God has to be the final authority. Dad Hagen taught us in school, he said, two Christians can never get a divorce. That's what Dad Hagen taught us. I'm not talking about his book. I'm talking about face to face. Well, you all knew I knew him personally. He dedicated this place. He said, two Christians can never get a divorce. Now, I'm going to go further, but I just want that to sink. He said, the only way two Christians can get a divorce, one of them or both of them have to get out of the love walk. Because love never fails. Love will always forgive. Y'all got quiet. Come on now. You, you, You have to get out of the love walk to disobey the word. You have to come to a place, God or no God, word or no word, I'm doing this. You're out of the love wall. Because what you're telling God, even if you could work it out, even if you could work a miracle, I don't want it. Even if you could fix it, I don't want it fixed. I'm done. I am done. I. Ooh, Jesus. The next one is saturation, and, and I'll, 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 I'll close on that. I cannot have, listen, if, if you're going to be fully convinced, you cannot have a passive approach to the things of God. I must take the time to study the word of God. Timothy says, study a workman uh, that, that uh, uh, would not be a saying, uh, rightfully dividing the word of truth. A workman that not be, you have to study to show yourself approved. A workman that would rightly divide the word of truth. How are you going to have confidence in God and you don't study the word? And it is an insult to God when you know more about sports statistics than you know about the verses of the Bible. It's an insult that you know more about the chief than you know about the king. It's an insult. I I should aspire to know more about God than anything else in life. I have to know God. I must know God so that I'll know which way to go. His word is a lamp unto my feet. That's where we started. His word is a light unto my path. Without the word of God, I don't know where I'm going and everybody who's following me is in trouble. Saturation. I said saturation. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by saturation. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Is this blessing anybody? You must spend time in the word of God and listen to my tapes. Listen to my teachings. Why would God have you here and the only time you hear my voice is on a Sunday morning for 40 to 45 minutes? You're not going to know what God has told me if you only heard it once. Just like what I'm teaching you right now. If you listen to it again, I guarantee you, you'll hear something else. And if you play it again for the third or the fourth time, you'll hear something that you didn't hear the former three times. Because the word of God is alive. It's a living thing. And it will speak to your situation. So God did not send you here for you to be casual toward me. I'm here to train you in the things of God so that you can be anchored, so that you can do the work of the ministry. Oh, Jesus. Is this, is this helping anybody at all? Is this helping anybody? The word of God changes how I make decisions. Come here. How old are you now? You're 19, so you got about six more years before you can be interested in, in a husband. <laughs> so so look, look at me. You got six years to get anchored. You got six years to get anchored. You got to get anchored in the word of God. I'm trying to help you now. I'm throwing you a lifeline. If you get anchored in the word of God, it will change the kind of man that will catch your attention. And one of the worst, you love Jesus, you save. One of the worst things you can do is say yes to a man while you're carnal. That you would not say yes to if you were spiritual. You got about good five or six years, good window to anchor yourself more in education, whatever you feel God has called you to do, get closer to God. And what happens, your decision making will stem from a strong relationship with God. And so you'll be looking for something more spiritual than sensual. Because sensuality alone will trap you. Because you'll be looking for tall, dark, and handsome. And I mean, exterior-wise, he's a nine and a half. Almost like me, a ten. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, sir. But inwardly, he's a two. Or a zero. You get married to him. You got marital problems, you bring him to the church, to the pastor, and he don't believe in it. You in trouble. So I'm ministering to you before you get in trouble so you don't get in trouble. Are you listening to me? Are you following me? Yeah, I know you know. Yes, ma'am. Love you so much. Was that all right, mom and dad? Yeah. She's 19 years old. She ain't got to be looking for no husband. She need to get an education. She need to get an education. 
and, and she, don't, she don't need to be tight with no, no boy because that'll lead to sex. Can't be all lovey-dovey and all that. It'll, it'll lead to sex. And, and sex is so bad because you get involved in that and then, you know, then, you know it breaks off because it's going to break off because it's not founded on anything right, so it don't last. And then next time you got another boyfriend and you're all cahoots. That leads to sex. Then, then five, six years from now, you get married, and now you're comparing your husband to all those former experiences. When the both of you should be starting on goal. You should be discovering this wonderful thing God created together. And not comparing my performance to somebody you met in 1982. Your world shouldn't have been rocked before I rocked it. So, so you made me a competitor. And I don't want to marry you to be a competitor. I want to marry you to love you. Just you and me. But because of all of your former experiences, you forced me to be a competitor. You don't hear this in church much anymore because preachers are scared. They're scared to preach against fornication and they're scared to speak against adultery. And because they're afraid to, to speak against it, it's everywhere. Because the only thing that will drive out fornication in your church, the only thing that will drive out adultery in your church is the word. The only thing that will drive out perversion in your congregation is the word of God. And you have to be bold enough to speak it. To drive out every perverted spirit. No two women sitting up here loving each other. Talking about that's God. Or two men. That's perversion. And until you create your own world and create another Bible. I'm going to go with this book. And the Bible says it's an abomination. Yes ma'am. I know. I know. I know. There are certain amens that mean move on. So, so the first thing is what? Consecration. The second is what? The third one is what? What's the fourth one? Saturation. The fifth one is what? Deliberation. That's why I want to encourage you to get the book, the book that I've written. Read, read all of Joshua, but read it because today there's a lot on meditation. There's a lot on meditation today. They got, they got rooms and places you can go and, and uh, practice yoga. It, listen to me. That's not fun and games. That's a religion. And you get off by yourself and you just kind of hum and, and get into a place of nothingness. That's dangerous. And the Bible didn't tell you to meditate uh, from yoga. It told you to meditate the word. There, there is a benefit in meditation, but you have to meditate right. Because if you meditate wrong, you open yourself up to familiar spirits. And so you have to meditate. There's a benefit in meditation. But you have to do it God's way. And I don't care how the world dresses it up. And people get together talking about these meditation meetings. You need to leave that stuff alone. If that thing is not founded on the word of God, you better get out of there. 
you're going to get strange. And you're going to open yourself up to something that is going to take somebody else to pray off of you. That's all I have to say about that. So read Joshua 1.8. It's in the book. It's in my book. I give an amplification about it. I do an expository about it so that we can meditate God's way so that we can have the blessings of God in our lives. Number six is what? Determination. And determination has to do with discipline. Determination has to do with discipline. Hear me, hear me as I close. Determination has to do with discipline over your body. Now, don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. But why would God give you greater responsibility when you have lack to show stewardship over your physical body? And don't get mad. Nobody looking around. Because we all can afford to lose a pound or two. But determination has to do with discipline. Some of you were sitting in front of the television set and some program came on where somebody's peddling and you ordered the the thing. Well, that's what I need. And so you ordered the bike. That thing has been sitting over in the corner for the last three, four, five months with dust on it. It's still brand new. Because you bought it out of emotionalism. Not realizing you needed determination. Y'all got all kind of equipment. You done took all kind of diets. You know, where they send you the food. It's supposed to last you a whole week. Send you boxes of stuff, enough for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, set to the next shipment come. And yours is gone in three days. Nothing wrong with the box. Nothing wrong with the, the, the exercise bicycle. The issue is you're not determined. You, 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 you're, you're weak in self-control. And then get mad if somebody don't lie to you. How I look. Oh, you look good. If they tell you the truth, they break the friendship off. Girl, how does this thing look on me? For the mere fact you're asking somebody how it looks, it tells me you got questions. The only preacher I know, which is my great mentor, who I honor, I keep mentioning his name because that's a form of honor, even though he's gone. Apostle Frederick K.C. Price. He was the only preacher I knew that was bold enough to tell this congregation about getting themselves under control when it comes to their physical body. And we're hard on fornication. And we're hard on adultery. And we're hard on somebody who smokes. And we're hard on somebody who drinks. But we're not hard on people who overeat. And overeating is a sin. The Bible calls it gluttony. It says your belly is your God. We don't hear much on that. 
Because your temple reflects if you're in control or out of control. And I have to exercise self-control because if I don't do it, it affects you. I'm standing up here telling you to take care of your body and I'm 360 pounds and my jaws is hanging down to my pocket. So I have to be the first example. And I'm blessed just like you. Can you imagine how big I could be based upon what I can buy? You realize how many pies I can buy? And eat after 9 o'clock? And, and pie talks to me like it does to you in your refrigerator. And, and, and listen, food, food has a loud voice. You can be way back in the back in the living room and the refrigerator can be way up front in the kitchen and you can hear it. Hey. You know where I'm at. The wife's sleep. She ain't going to know. You know you want another piece. I'm here. And so you fool yourself because you don't have self-discipline. I'm just going to get up and walk in the kitchen, make sure everything is secure. But if you're out of control with your body, you're probably out of control in other areas of your life. Is, is, this, is this all right? So you have to tell your flesh, you will obey God. Come on, say it. Say flesh, my flesh, you will obey God. Listen, you have to keep telling it because your flesh never wants to obey God. Never. Never. Anything God tells you to do, flesh doesn't want to do it. Flesh doesn't want to sacrifice nothing. Flesh, my body, you will obey God. I have a thing right by my bed on, on, on this machine by my bed that I have to look at every time I lay down or get up. And it talks about uh, resisting procrastination. And then I have some verbiage on it that if I try to procrastinate, it deals with me. You're putting off for tomorrow what you know you should be doing today. Can somebody say amen? Cultivating confidence in God. Would you please stand to your feet? I'm out of time. So number one is what? Number two is what? Number three is what? Number four is what? Number five is what? Number six is what? Number seven is what? Number seven is what? That's why I didn't, didn't expound on it, because number seven is self-explanatory. Number seven is expectation. Number seven is expectation. So you can't expect if you don't do all the above. In other words, you can't expect a harvest if you sown no seed. 
So once you do those six principles, then you have a right to expect the seventh one. God's number of completion. Wow, what an amazing message. Thank you for listening to our Pathway to Faith broadcast. If you're ever in the Kansas City metro area, join Bishop and Dr. Howe at Harvest Church International Outreach, 4300 North Corrington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, 64117. Or catch our services live online at www.harvestchurchkc.org. Be blessed.